Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Rob Warner, and today I'm joined by site publisher Chris Cartman, as well as reporters Trevor Booth and Jacob Rudner. Fellas, Thanksgiving week, we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, uh, reviewing Arizona State's upset victory over Oregon, talking a little bit about ASU basketball's uh, weekend on the road on the East Coast. How's everybody doing, though? Doing good, Rob. I'm excited that it's Thanksgiving week and the weather is still good, so no complaints here. Red? I'm excited for Thanksgiving. It's like my, my favorite holiday, so this is a good week. Got a, a big game to cover this weekend, so it's a good, it's a good week. Why is this your favorite holiday? I don't know. I just like the food. It's a good, it's a good food holiday. <laughs> I think it's a great idea of a holiday, not to get too far off from this podcast, but I think giving thanks and actually slowing down for a couple days of our life to be with our family and... Seeing and, all the ones that you don't like. No, <laughs> but uh, I, I appreciate that. I mean, drinking in front of your parents. Oh God, I don't like that part. But we're gonna move on from me drinking. Wait, I don't get to say how I'm doing. Well, how are you doing, boss? Oh, I'm doing fine. I just wanted to thank all the our listeners, and especially those who are members uh, on Sun Devil Source and the Devil Sanctuary. Really appreciate you guys. This is uh, this is like 15, 16 years, I guess maybe that I've been a publisher covering ASU sports. Um, and I really appreciate the audience that we have. So I just wanted to say that. That's pretty special. Uh, we're very thankful for our audience, Chris. That was an awesome uh, little bit right there. And we're going to head into ASU's upset now over Oregon. Um, what's hilarious is the game ended 31-28. Uh, Mason Kern, our other staff reporter, told me after the game that it was nearly identical to last year's score, 31-29 in Oregon. Um, just a crazy game. But let's start with more of the big picture from this and ASU's upset win. Fans stormed the field. Herm Edwards and the players just absolutely elated after the game. And Chris, how can a win like this change how this season will be perceived by ASU fans? Well, uh, I think, first of all, there was a lot of eyeballs on the game. There was twice as many viewers, over 4 million uh, viewers on ABC. It was a, a beautiful broadcast. I watched the whole game again, took a lot of notes uh, for our upon further review. Um, I said after the game that, that the coordinators on both sides for ASU did a really great job in that game, uh, game planning. It, it's easy to, when you're in the midst of a four-game losing streak and things aren't going well and you have uh, an opponent who's as good as any that you've probably played all year coming in to your building, it would have been easy for ASU to continue its spiral downward and especially with the early starts to games mm -hmm. being really problematic for ASU. Um, one of the things that people had asked me last week uh, was whether we, we saw some unraveling by just covering the program on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, whether we saw guys getting, um, you know, emotionally frustrated by it, whether they, you know, losing their cool, whether they were still invested and I, I said that I didn't really see any of those things. And I have, over the years, seen plenty of times when you knew that a team at this part of the year had was sort of dialed out. Mm -hmm. um, but that isn't, hasn't been the case at all. And I'm actually going to be writing about this later in the week. Um, and I think some people are going to really actually enjoy what I'm putting together on it. Um, but there's something to be said about Herm Edwards' approach and his staff and the way that they relate to their players, the way that they get players um, invested, 
that they get players to recover after some losses. And I am first to say I didn't anticipate ASU winning that game. Um, I thought it would be, you know, about a two-score loss uh, because, well, really the defense hadn't been playing well, and especially early in games and not not really getting to opposing quarterbacks and having issues in coverage, mm-hmm. all things that sort of don't line up very good when you're going up against Justin Herbert and, and Oregon, right? Um, but again, they they uh, they showed that they're capable of playing up to their opponents, right? This is something that we've seen from this team early on in the season. They go on the road as a two touchdown or more underdog to Michigan State and win, right? winning on the road against Cal. And um, and then, of course, Rob, whatever we're going to talk about here a lot more, I'm sure, is is the uh, the opportunity that Jaden Daniels had on a national stage against Herbert, who's widely predicted to be a top five, top ten type of a pick in the NFL draft mm-hmm. last year, a four year starter. This is Daniels first year as a uh, starting college quarterback. And it just wasn't even close. Right. He completely outshine Justin Herbert who really had a lot of mechanical issues in the game he was sped up I think he he struggled to identify some of the coverages uh, and he hadn't done that at all this whole season he had mm-hmm. what 28 touchdowns and three interceptions coming into this game he had two interceptions in this game could have easily thrown two or three more interceptions um, that also speaks to the, the execution and the scheme and the game plan mm-hmm. that Danny Gonzalez put mm-hmm. together we're gonna talk about that a lot more Big picture, though, the bowl eligibility is huge. Right. It gets ASU to the six-win plateau, which then allows you to get all those extra practices. They're almost for sure not going to be in the Las Vegas Bowl again, which means you're going to have a bowl game between Christmas and New Year's. That means you're going to get probably all 15 of the maximum allotted practices. Danny Gonzalez said these guys have no idea what they're in store for in that first week or two, which means you're going to really be able to skill develop, uh, emotionally condition and train and uh, and help your young roster improve with almost like a second spring football schedule. So I'm looking forward to covering that because it's a great opportunity for us to evaluate the roster in a different way. Uh, the only times that we really get to do that are spring ball, the first couple of weeks, of August, and then bowl season. And so I think you guys will also uh, enjoy what we get out of that uh, from a learning process. And I think this team will benefit. And certainly had ASU lost that game and needed to beat Arizona for bowl eligibility, even had that happened, the six wins went over a really bad Arizona team. The framing of that, it wouldn't have really reflected well with ASU fans. It would have been maybe even a step back from last year, not really a step forward. At, at best, a flatlining. And that's something that now won't be the case as long as ASU beats Arizona, right? That's the important caveat. Mm-hmm. You got to follow through and then beat Arizona. You get a seventh win. You have a freshman quarterback who's a star player. You do have a lot of youth on your team. You can take the next step. Fans are still invested. It helps you in recruiting. There's a lot of uh, positive things f- from it. And one small question that comes with uh, the win uh, over Oregon, and I saw a lot of people asking this, and, and it was a good question. Was there anything that foreshadowed this? So, well, look, Oregon has struggled coming into to play in Tempe over the years, even when it's been a pretty good team. Uh, remember last year, Oregon had an absolute terrible game at Arizona, um, and that was a good Oregon team, certainly a, a, a potent offense. So... 
there are, you know, there were indicators of the, the potential of Oregon to have letdowns at times. Um, and then we, we, you know, even though he's been really good this season, Herbert has had moments throughout his career when things have gotten a little bit squirrely for him and he's, you know, made some bad decisions. He's been, you know, prone to errors. Mm -hmm. And again, I would just say that I think Oregon, um, while very good on defense, generating a huge number of interceptions this year, uh, ASU was able to, to make it be kind of predictable with some of the things that it was doing. And I think Rob Likens called his best game of the year. It was excellent. And we're going to, talk obviously about that more but but you know no they to answer your question in a really long-winded way i i didn't expect it i know jordan simone said it and some other people said it and that's fine but asu's defense had been so so bad in the first half of games week after week after week that uh even though i i, I felt like they were invested and in, and in, in dialed in and you know i just didn't think that it was going to be you know but it happens. And before we get toward the defense, Jacob and Trevor, I want to get your guys' thoughts on what you guys saw from Herbert and Daniels, that battle between, you know, a, a guy that was not really in the forefront of the Heisman conversation, but was certainly thought of at the beginning of the year as a guy that could be and, and a guy that was leading a team that was perfect in conference play and only had one loss to a very good Auburn team the first game of the season. Yeah, I, I think just to speak on Jaden Daniels first, the fact that he was able to have the performance that he did against a defense that ranked top 15 in yards allowed and then also led the nation in interceptions and what they do with how they're able to get after quarter, the quarterback and they had 32 sacks on the year. And I think that speaks to what Chris said with how Rob Likens was able to call the game and get Jaden Daniels out of the pocket and really prevent that defensive line from getting after ASU. Um, the two plays that Jaden Daniels had, um, the 54-yard touchdown to Frank Darby and then the 81-yard touchdown to Brandon Ayuk, were the two longest plays that, Oregon defense, that Oregon's defense had given up this year from scrimmage. So th that impressive and then being in front of the national audience too. Um, I think to Chris's point with Justin Herbert, there were some throws that were a little shaky and ASU did make him uncomfortable. There was the interception that um, Cam Phillips dropped too that easily could have been the third there would have ended the game would have ended the game basically um, and I think in the over the last couple games Herbert threw two interceptions in the ASU game threw one in the Arizona game and then one in, in the game prior so he's had some lulls and that was kind of the, the story at the beginning of the season too where Oregon's offense sort of had some spurts where they weren't able to get going I think the big thing for ASU's defense is they were able to get off the field on their very first series that was something they hadn't done since I believe the Utah game and then the fourth and one stop they were able to get in the first quarter, too. After that, leading up until Oregon had mm -hmm. that three-minute spurt in the fourth, um, only had 90 yards of offense after that. So just two changing plays that really dictated and helped them get back on track there. I think Trevor really covered it well, but the only, the only things that I would add and just build on to that were we got to speak to Kalen Curse Thomas, the media got to speak to Kalen Curse Thomas after the game, and he basically said that the focus in the week leading up to Oregon was going to be how well ASU could put pressure on Justin Herbert. Because something that they noticed was if you can properly apply pressure on the Oregon offense, he will throw the ball to you, or the exact words that Kalen Curse Thomas used. And he said that Justin Herbert doesn't handle certain types of pressures well, and ASU was, was successfully able to accomplish that. So that was that's what I'll add on the defense with what Trevor said. And then offensively, uh, you mentioned the two longer touchdowns, and those were obviously impressive, but I think that the the most impressive touchdown pass from Jaden Daniels was actually the 26-yard touchdown to Frank Darby. Uh, he had defense 
coming right at him into his face. And it was a very veteran-like decision to step up into the oncoming defender to make that throw. And he obviously, the result was, was a perfect pass for a touchdown. But the way that he stepped up into the oncoming pressure was, was veteran-like. And that was something that, Chris, you and I had discussed during the game. And that was an impressive moment for yeah, Jaden Daniels. Well, Herbert threw it right to Kalen Curse thomas didn't he? And that was, um, in some respects, it was, it was a bit reminiscent of the play in which he got the, the penalty earlier in the year and had the, the pick six. Uh, once again, he knocks basically knocks uh, the the receiver to the ground. Now it was a little bit different in that he didn't grab him at all. He just kind of hit him, which is legal, the totally legal play. Smart. He almost ended up running the route for him, and then Herbert throws the ball right to him. Um, yeah, I've, we talked last week about needing to keep Herbert from being able to get into any kind of a rhythm early in the game. And he just didn't really ever get into a rhythm, and and so I think that was that that was key. But uh, ASU did it in a really creative way, and this is what, I, what we're going to really kind of hone in on. Rob is that last the previous week against Oregon State, we saw that ASU had gone to some four linebacker looks, some three four, uh, with some four DB looks, which is different than their normal base five DB looks with the Tillman being a hybrid type of a player in the middle of the defense. Uh, they did that primarily against 12 personnel groupings, which is two tight ends. And, you know, concern about run game is a main thing, being able to have an, uh, an extra number in the box. Uh, and then the play action stuff out of that makes it kind of difficult. So, so in this game against Oregon, they really expanded upon that. Um, but not in the first series because they only had 10 players on the field for the first two plays, which we noticed uh, in the press box. And Danny Gonzalez made a joke about after the play. Mm -hmm. uh, essentially what happened is he was calling for base. Uh, base should include a Shari Crosswell with the, 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 the grouping that they were planning to play. Uh, Crosswell didn't end up on the field, so they ended up missing a rusher. They were smart enough to not lose anything in coverage and dropping back. Uh, Oregon ended up having to punt anyways, even after those two plays. But then subsequently, I think it was the next drive, they ended up having 12 players on the field because they had both of the guys who on the field, Crosswell and Elijah Juarez, who was the extra linebacker who was out there quite a bit. And there were four linebacker looks. And the four linebacker look, by the way, as you guys know, have also included Kyle Soley who it had been sort of hinted at was was due for a larger role um, you know in this game and I think he played well Merlin Robertson um, has not had the, the progression that would have been expected of him from freshman year to sophomore year it's been asked and t discussed around the program um, I think he had a pretty good game actually in a more limited uh, role it's not that Juarez played great or anything or that solely played great it was at this different kind of a look uh, it helped them. It, it presented something that was different against Oregon because they did it, including against 11 personnel groupings. See, that's the key thing is Oregon had never seen this type of a look against 11 personnel. And so that, I think, really affected them. And, and what ASU was doing is something that we really haven't even seen is they were playing the linebackers at deeper depths their alignments were deeper in the middle and so oregon their offensive line is so dominant right everybody knows that well the oregon linemen were coming clean into the second level but there was too much space for them to be able to get onto the linebackers and so the linebackers were able to get slide away from those guys and even though oregon was having some success and maybe even looked to be gashing asu in the running game at times especially like kind of earlier in the game it didn't really ever materialize into like 
extended drives that were like long, you know, you know, situations. And so, um, this, the, the, the plan, the approach that Danny Gonzalez had, like in thinking about how he wanted to put together a defense for this game, it actually really worked. And of course, a big benefit to that was getting Cam Phillips back, having Kobe Williams be able to bump out on the outside and then being able to switch, rotate, uh, Jack Jones and Chase Lucas, both of whom, of course, played a lot better in this game. And it's true that Oregon didn't have the big play athleticism on the perimeter of recent ASU opponents, right? USC, Oregon State with the double moves uh, of, of Hodgins, uh, you know, even pr- prior opponents going back further than that that give ASU some problems. Mm-hmm. So they pressed them up at the line of scrimmage with Chase Lucas and Jack Jones. They did a good job right. with, with their coverages. They mixed up their coverages. So sometimes they, they were they were moving into some zones that were unanticipated. The looks kept Herbert off balance. And the totality of that is that it really worked well for about three and a half quarters. Uh, things got pretty ugly there, uh, you know, when ASU was trying to protect its lead late. But before that, it was a really uh, quite an impressive performance by ASU's defense. Yeah, and moving more toward the offense and how potent it looked on Saturday night, I, I think a lot of people were surprised to see Eno Benjamin have the type of success that he had. Uh, Chris, you mentioned it in the uh, – uh, in, in the podcast last week previewing Oregon, that there were going to be some shots for ASU's receivers in this game. Brandon Ayuk, Frank Darby both had big games, but I think Eno Benjamin, as we talked about last week, was a real big key in getting this offense going and, and having them play the game that Herm Edwards wanted them to play, holding the ball, not letting Herbert have time, and and, and Mario Cristobal's offense really just lots of time to work with. Well, yeah, we're obviously going to talk a lot about the big play potency of, of those receivers, but really I think it starts, again, with Likens, as I mentioned earlier. And the reason I say that is because they he schemed to take advantage of the way that Oregon defends routes from the backfield, both with Benjamin and with Kyle Williams. Did you guys notice of the motions to then go back to the open space? Those plays require Oregon to have linebackers covering getting into the flat, especially. So when you void out the areas with your receivers and the big play capability of those guys uh, assist that, you're then going to get Benjamin, who's one of your best players, flowing into space. And then what ASU did to further leverage that is they would use a tight end and or a receiver getting in the way of the linebacker so that there was a lot of traffic that that linebacker was going to have to flow through to be able to get to where Benjamin was catching these these balls. So obviously Benjamin ran well. He ran effectively. He had spins. He had extra yards, yards after contact. I think we always expect that from, you know, Benjamin, at least I do. You know, and sometimes it doesn't materialize because he's running into a wall, right? But in this game, it was the concept creativity from Likens that I hadn't seen enough of at times earlier in the year that I think really, really uh, showed up. And not just the way that they got the ball to Benjamin and Kyle Williams, but also uh, they ran a lot of switch routes, you know, where, where they were able to get, you know, Ricky Pearsall or Ayuk working 
underneath working outside to the flat with somebody getting in the way, almost like a rub concept as the defensive backs were in man coverage. We're trying to crisscross each other to get to the ball. You guys will remember I called out in the press box on the one third and two that it was going to be to Brandon Ayuk because I saw the alignment of Ayuk in the slot and he was going to run right behind those guys as as a wash as they cleared that out. And that was because the reason I I anticipated that was not just the alignment of Ayuk, but also uh, in knowing the, the the types of coverages that they were going to probably be in in that situation. But I, so I think, I think if I'm seeing it, obviously Likens is, is seeing it much better. And he was ahead of the curve, I think time and again, and anticipating the types of coverages that they were going to see and the types of, of route structures that were going to be able to beat that. And then the big play capability, right? Remember it was just last week that coaches were talking about ASU having maybe one of the best duos in the country of Frank Darby and Brandon Ayuk. And Oregon has been very good in the secondary this year. Very good. They're very experienced. Thomas Graham, I feel like I've been watching him. He picked Oregon over ASU, by the way. A lot of ASU fans may remember this. But I feel like I've been watching him you know, for three years or maybe longer as a starter there as a corner. He didn't have as many problems, but he had one, one breakdown. It was really the other side that ASU was able to really take advantage. But this is where those double moves, you know, you had the, the stutter go. Um, with with Brandon Ayuk uh, was was on the last one the 80, 80 something yard one was crazy because I was on a third and sixteen situation. It should be underneath the sticks. The DB you know bites on it. That ball was incredibly well thrown by Jaden Daniels, and Ayuk's ability to accelerate to the ball and make an extended catch is really quite tremendous right and then he has another burst of acceleration after it to get into the end zone the first one was similar in that but it was a different coverage with frank darby there on that play you had a zone concept the cornerback is supposed to to get a bump right away on darby to prevent his release into the route so that you can get uh rushers closer to the quarterback before that ball comes out but then the safety who's sitting way over the top of that bit on it on you know a little bit of a pump a little bit of a you know Darby guy's head turned around and you're thinking oh the ball's ball's going to come out now and that's that's where you get in trouble as a defensive back Herm Edwards calls it dirty eyes this in this game it was Oregon's players that have dirty eyes more than ASU and Darby's ability to to locate find and catch the ball in those situations is it's really quite something. And then the 26-yarder, which was after ASU got backed up on a penalty. I think it was a first and 15. I could be wrong. But um, nevertheless, Darby just he just avoided bump coverage at the line of scrimmage, got to his route. The corner did actually a pretty good job of getting back into phase. But then he got a little nervous because you know he's he's you know he's got his back to the ball there's Darby he's already made a play and he 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 wraps him up and Darby still somehow comes up with the ball and what an expression from Darby in that moment right like he's yelling at the sky you know this guy who's been expected to be the big play big play playmaker for ASU and he really has at times but this was like uh an opportunity for him to make good on last year's game when he thought that he was in bounds, and I think we all kind of thought that he might have been in bounds on that two-point play that would have given ASU a chance to extend the game and, and have a chance to uh, compete for the Pac-12 South Championship. But guys, 
Brandon Ayuk is over a thousand yards now. Yeah. He's he is the all time leader for ASU in all purpose yards in his season by a wide receiver. And he's only, I think, two guys ahead of him in the other position, right? Um, we knew that he was capable of being a really great player. Has he even surpassed the expectations for a second-year guy? And what do you make about just how potent the ASU's passing game is? And maybe Jaden Daniels taking a little bit of a of a of a glance at Joey Yellen, throwing those airing out those deep balls. Uh, and saying, hey, maybe I should be throwing those balls out even a little bit more than I have been. Yeah, and I, I think it was Rob Likens that was talking about that he and Jaden Daniels had with Mike Berkovici during the USC game and seeing what Joey Yellen was doing going down the field and uh, talked about just how valuable that experience was for Jaden Daniels just to get to see that and be on the sidelines and learn from the coaches. I was going to ask you, Chris, and since you've been covering the program with with Frank Darby, seven touchdowns over the last four games, he says this is the best stretch that he's had in his career, and easily. statistically, obviously. Well, yes, easily. And and you know what I would say is it's he's starting to show a little bit more skill as a receiver. He was always that guy who had a knack for being able to put the guy in jail behind him after winning at the line of scrimmage and being able to go catch the deep ball, right? But what he's doing now is he's starting to be a route runner, and he's starting to be a little bit more of a, a, a technician. He's still not dropping his weight, checking his feet, working with his hands properly, on curls, on out routes. There's still another evolution of his game to get to. I think he's a little bit tightly wound. I think he's going to you know, probably continue to improve. We mm -hmm. saw similar things with some other receivers who were vertical threats in their ASU career. Rashad Ross comes to mind. Uh, he was a Juco player, super speedster, Great uh, getting behind the defense, but he didn't have any sort of routability, returns to the football, lots of problems. I, I'm seeing Darby really really take the next step, right? And I, I think another year of Darby continuing in this regard, and they're going to lose Ayuk on the other side, and that's going to hurt them. But I, I, I do think that uh, in, in Curley and, and Jordan Porter, they have guys that can take the top off the defense that are athletes on the other side. I think Frank Darby has a chance to really help his NFL stock uh, with another year of, of football. And, uh, and gosh, I mean, would you not want to come back and play with Jaden Daniels for another year and be able to probably go out there and catch 1,000 yards and, and more than 10 touchdowns and be considered one of the – premier receivers in the Pac-12 I think that's in front of him if he wants to go ahead and grab that and I think Chris the thing that you and I have talked about over the past three years with Darby is just consistency and it seems like this is the first time really we're seeing it on any basis longer than one game um, and, and it's not perfect it's like you said there's still he had, he had a, a bad drop I believe against Oregon State for a first down what's amazing to me is he always makes harder catches than the easy ones. Well, he, yes, that's true. That's a that's an important point. He's such a a live wire, right? He's such a bundle of energy that harnessing that, I think, has been a challenge for him at times. And also settling in and understanding, you know, the more detail orientation that you need to have mm -hmm. to really take the next step as a receiver. But I think we're starting to see that from him. We saw Brandon Ayuk has obviously made a huge jump, and 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 clearly, not having to kill Harry put the onus on Ayuk to be able to make that type of a of a of a step in his game. But I see Jaden Daniels really 
uh, this was the game that showed me, okay, he's taking another jump, right? Because and not just the fact that he threw those balls on time and accurate and everything. I, I'm seeing backside reads. I'm seeing him get the ball out quickly. I'm seeing no jeopardy throws against an Oregon defense that is the number one in the country in, in, in interceptions, I think, right? Um, I mean, that was fantastic. We're, we're – we're, we knew, guys, that, that Jaden Daniels was going to be really good. I mean, I said some things about him that I've never said about any ASU quarterback ever. And he's validating that, like, times two. Or, like, he is – like, how is he not somebody that you're already thinking about as a national freshman of the year candidate, a guy who, if ASU does its job to surround him properly, is a maybe a potential, you know, Heisman Trophy candidate – in a year or two years, he's it's that type of a thing that we're seeing. I mean, he's having, you know, he's already tied the record of the most three hundred plus yard games. You know, they 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 have a chance to really do something special with Jaden Daniels if everybody else does their jobs. I, I was looking at the numbers nationally speaking in terms of Jaden Daniels' performances so far this year for the uh, for the red shirt tracker, which for those of you that are subscribers will have access to in the in the next day or two with the with the red shirt freshman, but. For, for Jaden Daniels, he has made a jump again in the national rankings for passing yards per game. He moved from number 30 to number 24 in the nation after his performance this past week against Oregon. He now holds the record at ASU for the most passing yards in a single season by a freshman. And of the quarterbacks that are in the top 50 in terms of passing yards per game in the FBS, Jaden Daniels is the only one to have thrown more than 15 touchdown passes and less than three interceptions. He's the only one. In the top fifty, can I just say something about the 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 record that G- Daniels set in that regard? Uh, it, it was beating Rudy Carpenter in two thousand five, and uh, I've been on the radio with Rudy Carpenter. It seems like four or five times in the last couple of weeks because he's been on uh, Arizona Sports host co-hosting once or twice, and then he's been on the Pac twelve channel on Sirius XM, and. Um, the 2005 season, I remember so vividly, and ASU fans I know well as well, because you had the duel in camp between Sam Keller and, and Rudy Carpenter. That could we could you know uh, turn this into a half hour conversation just about that, and maybe at some point we will. But uh, Rudy Carpenter didn't even start the first, I think, seven games of that season. Uh, Sam Keller was the quarterback. ASU was off to a, just this extremely blistering start with its past game. That was like peak dirt cutter. Uh, you know, offensively, and then, you know, Keller gets hurt. He, you know, eventually he's going to end up transferring. Rudy Carpenter takes over, and and Rudy Carpenter had an amazing uh, season. But, but back to Daniels, for him to be that highly regarded statistically right now for the, the style that ASU's played, which is almost kind of like try to take the air out of the ball at times, plays in some fewer possession, fewer, you know, uh, you know, shrink, shrink wrap, shrink wrap type, type games. Um, that makes it all the more impressive to me. And especially with the offensive line issues, which we've talked about all season and their blocking and protection. They, I mean, they do a better job at that and get a couple of these wide receivers that they're recruiting into this program and get them a year under their belts. 2021 i'm just telling you it could be like pretty freaky actually um with what's going to happen with asu offense potentially 
As we transition from football to basketball, ASU basketball had definitely an interesting weekend, to say the least, beating St. John's on the East Coast and then having a pretty good opportunity to beat a top-10-ranked team in Virginia. Could not close out that ball game. Lost in a very close game, 48-45, to in a very low-scoring affair. What were your guys' takeaways from ASU's weekend? You know, Rob, they had two big runs in each of their games against St. John's and against Virginia. St. John's, I think it was a 14-1 to run that sort of torn, uh, turned things around. Remy Martin scored 13 straight points at one point and really just took over the game and a- gave ASU an opportunity to pull away. And then Virginia, the same thing from the first half to the second. It was a 19-0 stretch in which ASU took a nine-point lead. It looked like they were really limiting Virginia from an offensive standpoint and sort of being able to pick up the pace that they wanted to. That I think they finished with 22 fast break points in that game, which is something that Virginia is known to limit. Um, and then just down the stretch, uh, half-court offense wasn't able to, to execute. Um, they had a scoreless stretch in the Virginia game that I think exceeded seven minutes at one point. And when you needed just a couple buckets in order to keep things where it was, because Virginia wasn't doing anything crazy offensively, I think Diakite hit a three that got them back in it and had an and one. But for most of the game, uh, he wasn't doing a whole lot. It was just a couple plays that they needed to in a possession-based game against Virginia that they weren't able to take. I think that's something they're going to have to evaluate going forward because we've seen how effective they are from a full court perspective and how they look to push the ball and and can force teams into that. It's just a matter of you're going to play teams like that, and especially games in the Pac-12 where it's sort of slower pace. If you play some teams, they're going to throw some zone at you. you got to be able to to execute in some possessions in the half court. Um, That's some of the main takeaways from that game. Well, I think ASU did what it needed to do, uh, beating St. John's and getting to that game against Virginia. That'll, that'll be a uh, a boost, certainly, with um, its profile you know, later on in the year. But it, the, it was a missed opportunity because the way that the momentum was going in the game, that 19-0 run, I mean, when's the last time Virginia's given up 19-0 run to anybody, probably. Um, it just seemed like Remy Martin was the best player on the court. Rob Edwards was playing well. I think Martin had 13 of the 19 points in that run, starting with the, the five at the end of the first half, and then uh, came out of the gate well in the second half. You thought ASU was probably uh, you know, going to have a chance to win because Virginia, um, even more so than last year, really is is has a hard time with, on the offensive end it seems like it, last year they had better guard play i think that's that's a limitation right now um i'm interested to see kind of how their team develops because bennett has done a very good job at getting developing three point shooters uh in his tenure but right now they're just so limited on that end of the floor i didn't know that they would be able to catch up uh, on ASU but then as it turns out of course their defense is so stifling the number one defensive team in the country probably that they were able to basically keep ASU from scoring the ball for like six minutes or something like that uh, over a stretch of the second half and 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 climb their way back into the game a tight game in the last couple minutes it's like a balancing act between who has better guards but then who has better defense and Virginia was able to win out what we saw of course was uh, Rob Edwards, they, they tried to dial up a couple sets for him to get him some shots from the perimeter, some curl actions, some double screen, I think one of them. Uh, and even with that, uh, he didn't get any clean looks, really. The ball hand was in his face. I think one was deflected. Uh, and that's that's a challenge that we've seen ASU have at mm-hmm. times over the years with late-stage games and getting 
uh, high-quality possessions on the offensive end of the floor. They've had turnovers, and they've had you know tendency to not be able to get really super clean looks at times. So that that maybe is something to to keep an eye on with this this team moving forward. Uh, you would, of course, expect with with Martin and Edwards, Alonzo Verge not being able to play the last two games because of a, uh, a right wrist injury, something to monitor. But then also with Jalen House, are they going to be able to have the uh, the the creation to be able to get uh, better quality shots against other types of teams? I think we want to see that. And then a theme that we've noticed early on this season is front court issues with the Sun Devils really struggling. Uh, and it particularly um, when you don't have Virgin, then you're kind of more limited with your guard play. You need other guys to kind of step up. Uh, Valtanen has, you know, played a role, but he's not somebody that's going to be able to really, uh, you know, take over a game or anything like that. And then when Tayshawn Cherry and Kamani Lawrence are struggling, as they did in this game, you, the the options really start to dwindle for you when you when uh, it seems very clearly that Bobby Hurley is not comfortable playing Khalid Thomas or Andre Allen any sort of meaningful minutes. I think Thomas maybe had like another game with a couple minutes there of action. Uh, so you're putting really too much on Romello White and then also on Jalen Graham. Jalen Graham. I think he's going to be a good player. He brings a lot of defensive presence, rim protection. You know, he can score kind of around the basket. But when you start to go up against better teams, he's probably just not ready for a uh, expanded role in, in against that caliber of an right. opponent. And so then it's then you then ASU ends up in like basically four guard lineups in key stretches of the game against a team that has more size, more rebounding. Uh, you know, better better front court defense, and so it just sort of squeezed ASU down and, and really, uh, you know, kept it from being able to do anything offensively in the the, the key moments of the game. It, you did touch on it about how you can't necessarily rely on on Jalen Graham to be in that bigger role, especially if Kamani Lawrence and uh, Tayshawn Cherry are not performing. But I will say that him and Jalen House performed very well defensively in the game against St. John's. Uh, Jalen House had three steals in the game. Jalen Graham had four blocks. We touched on it in our five takeaways after the game. Those two were very impressive in that game, and that was something that we had discussed almost immediately after. And I think just to wrap up the point we were talking about with Jalen Graham, he only played five minutes in the Virginia game, and Romella White played 35. So they really relied on him down the stretch. And that's he. That's like you're going to get into these stretches where you're going to play like more games in a sh- in, a, in shorter amounts of time. Mm-hmm. Like, so they play uh, between uh, December 13th and, and December 14th, they play four times. So Romello white, you, you put a lot of minutes on him and then, you know, maybe you start to have issues. You, you also are going to have a game probably or two or three or five where you're going to get in some foul trouble in your front court. That's, that's a challenge. I just think that they need to get more, from Cherry and Lawrence, um, the, you know whatever it is, those guys need are going to need to snap out of it and start playing better basketball against St. John's. Lawrence and Cherry, you mentioned foul trouble. The two of them had four fouls, and they they both they, Cherry actually performed reasonably well defensively in that game. But overall, the two of them did get into foul trouble. And like you said, you play a tougher opponent, and they get baited into more fouls. Then you're without those two, and then you really do become reliant on. Jalen Graham, or maybe potentially Thomas and Allen, who haven't really played a lot so far this season. It doesn't look like they're going to be relying on those latter two guys at all. And so it just it makes pretty clear like who they're 
core eight guys are. And, um, you know, it's not like in the past they haven't had a similar type of rotation. Um, it's just that Daquan Lake was a junior senior. Jalen Graham's a freshman, you know, and, and you lose something, of course, when you don't have veteran, you know, presence of uh, Zylan Cheatham in your front court. There's just no way around that. Like Cheatham and Romello White, that's that's pretty good. Romello White and uh, whatever you're going to get on any given night from some of these other guys, mm-hmm. that's a little bit of a question mark. So that's going to do it, though, for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. For publisher Chris Cartman and staff reporters Trevor Booth and Jacob Rudner, I'm your host, Rob Warner, saying so long, and we'll see you soon.